Welcome to Stokes County Boys, a podcast in which two friends discuss the place and things that made them who they are and who they are not. I'm Philip, and I'm joined with my uh, good friend Patrick. How's it going? Oh, living the dream, living the dream. That's right. So uh, in, in this episode, we're going to discuss the album uh, Pinkerton, the 1996 uh, sophomore effort from the band Weezer. We're going to talk a little bit about the, our personal connection to that record. Before we get to the record, Patrick, I want to do a little something because, as we said, we are the Stokes County Boys. We don't currently live in the area. We still live in North Carolina, but I want to get back to our roots a little bit, Patrick, okay? We're going to talk about today, before we get into the album Pinkerton by Weezer, is, (laughs) Patrick, I want to share with you the issues page of the Republican uh, representative of uh, Stokes County. He also represents uh, Surrey and Randolph, I believe, but uh, this is for the North Carolina House, so the North Carolina General Assembly. So his name's Kyle Hall. I believe he grew up in Pinnacle. I just want to go through his issues, and I want to get your uh, insight on these things, okay? So basically, there's three, there's three categories, which are improving education, limiting government, and protecting our rights. Okay, Patrick, I hope you're, in, you're excited about these three things, and I'm sure you'll agree with what he has to say about this. And you being an educator, and I, I work in education as well, hopefully we'll agree with every single thing Mr. Kyle Hall has to say as he represents Stokes County, among a couple other counties in the North Carolina General Assembly. Uh, first, the key to North Carolina's success is through our schools from kindergarten to our community colleges and universities. You have any issues with that? I, I tend to agree. I think that, you know, I, I would like to see public thrown in there somewhere if we're getting technical, but... Okay, okay. I like I like the way you're reading this and, and analyzing and understanding. Okay. We must ensure that our students have the tools necessary to succeed in our global economy, but testing is not the answer. What What is that? What does that say to you, Patrick? So I might I might be getting a little ahead of myself. So like you know just that's okay. You know this, but you know I, I've been teaching in North Carolina for fourteen years, and so more or less I'm what halfway through my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know I've I've seen a lot of things from um, every level, from elementary, middle, and high school. Um, and and obviously when you're such a a major when that, when that's such a major part of your life you're going to pay attention to what's going on publicly and stuff. And, you know, I might be getting ahead of myself here with, with uh, what we're, we're looking at here, but like, I feel like a lot of times the people that are making the decisions and having the opinions are the people that aren't the ones that are there. You know, you don't go to the grocery store if you need somebody to check out your, your bad back, you know, right. you, you want to go to a chiropractor or a doctor or somebody that knows you know, a little bit more. And, and so like, you know, my problem is that like on, on the surface with what you just said, this is my long way. Uh, this is my long answer here. For That's okay. Really yeah, I'll edit this thing. Um, <laughs> for, for, for something like, you know, yes, we do need to ensure students have the tools necessary to succeed in our global economy. That's yeah, absolutely. If testing's not the answer. Okay. So then how do we assess them? And I think that the, my answer to that as an educator is you put your trust in the educators and let the trained professionals use their formative assessments or use their informal 
you know right 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 feel authentic assessments because that's what they're trained to do yeah it, the problem I, is, is how do you document that and how do you show that to the common person right okay well, that's a good point, and I want to read the last thing and, and just see what you think about that. Teaching is a valuable profession, and teachers deserve the utmost respect. While NC Republicans have done a good job raising teacher pay, more must be done. Now, what do you think about, especially the one I'm kind of zooming in on is, while Republicans in North Carolina have done a good job raising teacher pay. All right. Um, How do you feel about that? So I'm, I'll stay openly, too. I'm independent. You know, yeah. my, my dad was a hardcore Republican. My mom was hard. Well, my mom is a hardcore Democrat. Um, yeah. And she's a Bernie bro. <laughs> I, yeah. I got I got pushed away from from politics. I mean, I got so tired of the fighting and the yeah, arguing yeah, yeah. and the not speaking in November's of election year. Like, but but like, you know, we when we try to, to politicize, well, it is political. But when we try to politicize and make it partisan, like, here's the thing. Yes. I got a, call it a raise. Yes, I got a raise that made me have a livable salary a, a couple of years ago. And yes, Republicans are the <laughs> ones that put that in play. Right. You know, but that doesn't really, you know, what about the eight years that I yeah, was yeah. on a frozen salary? Whereas when I finally hit year 10, they took away longevity, which was basically just, you know, on, on an extra paycheck a year. But for eight years, like I had, I was making with a master's degree what a second year teacher made. So all the way up until year 10. And so, you know, yes, I, I, I can make a living now, but I also was one of the few that wasn't pushed away. You know, I, I stuck it out because I believe in the state and because I believe in public education and North Carolina is my home. The next point is limiting government. And this is where it gets a little bit more fun. Uh, <laughs> says our government, state and federal has gotten too big. It's reached too far and it's burdened too great. Okay, these aren't really like individual points. It's more kind of a manifesto. So I'll just read these all together. We need to improve North Carolina's business climate to grow jobs and improve our economy. Taxes must be low and competitive with other states. Uh, we need to cut government red tape to improve efficiency. We need to cut wasteful government spending so our tax dollars are used effectively. Now, once again, to me, this is just kind of boilerplate Republican kind of conservative mumbo jumbo. I, I don't feel like there's a lot here. You know, there's there's nothing there that that on the surface I necessarily have an issue with. There's nothing yeah. that, that, that's just blatantly like, no, this is wrong. And now, granted, you know, like I said, I'm more passionate about education than I am general politics. Mm -hmm. But you know, like, talk to me about what you're going to do with taxpayer money after you have approved a budget. Yeah, which they haven't done yet. And we're going on year two now. Yeah, the fiscal year, which they never approved a budget, is about to end in a month. So, yeah, they've done a great job. Uh, protecting our rights. This one is fun. Our rights do not come from government. Rather, our rights come from Almighty God. Our rights don't come from government, from Almighty God they come. Well, every, everything he said, <laughs> everything he said, this is, I don't know, I feel like it's a little hypocritical. And I'm not trying to attack anybody for people's beliefs or whatever, but no yeah. stretch of imagination, man. When people are like, I mean, everything that, that, that you've said so far, everything in, in his 
page, his manifesto issues, whatever you want to say, it, it, it seems very pro-Constitution. One of the major, major things in the Constitution is separation of church and state, which I fully agree with. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I think that I believe in human rights, but I, I think they come from humanity. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I don't think yeah. The voters overwhelmingly voted to define marriage, and we must preserve marriage. Now, he says a whole lot without saying anything here. So what I'm guessing is he is a homophobe. I'll just say it. Patrick? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know how to respond to something like that. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Because it, it seems like, Sometimes we ask questions that, and I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person, but sometimes we ask questions and we try to get data on something that really doesn't need to be, you know, done. I, I'm, I'm not so certain that I really care what voters think marriage <laughs> yeah. should be defined yeah. as. I mean, I, I don't care. Right. But like, well, that's the thing. If, if in 1963 they had voted on the Civil Rights Act, you know, most states would have turned it down. And it's like, so it's like sometimes you have to have the, the something moral and something that's right. You just have to make it law, and then the country will catch up eventually. The culture will. Let's move on. <laughs> A right to keep and bear arms must be protected. Once again, that's not surprising. Uh, whatever. Who cares? Did you want to say anything? I didn't mean to pass over you, Patrick. Okay. Illegal immigration must be stopped in North Carolina. No, not a big fan of this one either. Well, that's, that's, that's a, I believe that's a larger issue than just North Carolina and Stokes and Surrey County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, property rights must be protected and fracking violates those rights. Okay, he's anti-fracking. I'm, I'm into that. Okay, there we go. All right, thank you, Kyle Hall for NC House. He must be running again. So just remember the issues as you go to the ballot boxes if you are in Stokes County, which we are not. So we won't be voting for him. Patrick, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. All right. All right. We are back. Patrick, we're back. You're, you're bringing, like, the pitchforks and torches. <laughs> I don't Man, even know poor Kyle Hall. I don't care. He is a public, <laughs> he is a public servant. And so that demands uh, criticism, introspection, inspection, and sometimes straight-out derision, okay? So we'll just, we'll just give him what for. And if he hears this, he wants to come on the show, come on the show, please. We'd love to talk to you about your issues, and you can explain to us a few things, okay? Maybe he can give us some insight on that, because I feel like it's a little vague, doesn't really tell me enough about him, and I'd like to know more. Of course, if you follow him on Twitter... He does have a lot of pro-Trump stuff, so that might help give you a little bit more information. But we're not, this part, Patrick, we're not talking about Kyle Hall, okay? Enough about Kyle Hall, Republican NC General Assembly, Wonderkind, right? Uh, We're here to talk about the 1996 album Pinkerton by one of, I'll say, one of my favorite bands, especially growing up, Weezer. Now, Patrick, I want to ask you first off, what's your personal connection to this album? Or when did you, like, first hear it? How did it, like, shape you in any way? Well, I 
I first heard it when it came out because I think you made me. Um, <laughs> I think the one I made you listen to, I remember, was the Blue album. Because I was a little, I will say I was a little late to get into this one. But when I say late, it may have been like 1997 or 98 versus when it first came out. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Probably, I probably was a junior before I really listened to it. You know, and I, yeah. you know, it, it, being being a musician and 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 uh, myself and stuff, you know, there's there's a very big difference between hearing and listening. And so right. I think. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you were always more into Weezer than I was. And that started with the Blue album. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the first thing I heard from them was on our field trip yeah. that we took um, up and down the eastern seaboard. You know, we're, I remember being on the bus and you made me listen to Weezer. And in yeah. my mind, I'm like... You were listening to like your uh, number one <laughs> oldies, like one hit wonder album or whatever like that's the thing at at that point in my life you know seventh grade eighth grade i was really really into like 60s music Mm -hmm. and it was you know the beatles the beach boys mamas and the papas and and what it was for me was the harmonies yeah and it was it was just those those gorgeous harmonies that it seems like you know you listen to pet sounds you listen Mm -hmm. to sergeant peppers um you like those albums really spoke to me harmonically my ears have always been more attracted to you know just polyphonic sound like and, yeah. and while i was really getting into those 60s albums right i was missing out on like this revolution of like early and mid 90s music yeah the alternative yeah scene. and so like yeah. you know i can't i came to the game a little bit late but like you know when i first heard weezer i'm just like yeah what is this it took me a while because I was just hearing it. I wasn't listening to it like I was with mm. these older albums and these older bands, you know? Um, right. With Pinkerton, when when I was finally able to listen to it, you know, again, this was three or four years, no, not four, it's probably two or three years after it was released yeah. when I'm actually really listening to it. Then, I, you know, I felt like as an album, it was, it was the best thing that I'd heard in a while. Mm-hmm. But it also didn't seem as fun as that blue yeah, album was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, when I first heard it, heard the whole album, I, I didn't like it, honestly. I was, uh, because I was looking for that, that, that heavy pop sensibility that their, their debut, the blue album, had. Of course, it was probably like 1997, 98. So it's not like, but when you're a child, or you're in middle school or early high school, two years is is a long time, you know? And I was like, I haven't heard from them in a while. And and I was talking to Mike Burwanger, and he was like, I have that second album, because I hadn't even really listened to it. I think I heard, like, El Scorcho on, like, MTV2 or something. But he was like, I don't really listen to it anymore. I'll give it to you, give you the CD. So that's how I got a hold of it. And so, um, so I just... A shout out to Mike Berwanger for just giving me the record. Um, so, and like I said before, when I first heard it, I didn't really like it. And I think it was a little off-putting because it wasn't as, like, uh, poppy. It wasn't as, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't as fun. It was, like, kind of dark and kind of, I don't want to say, I'd like. it feels kind of dirtier because, like, there's all that feedback. The There's no a lot of the songs have these like false starts or they just kind of meander into the song. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. It was more of a, 
it, it felt less of an album full of songs as it did like a, a journal entry. Yeah, yeah. And this this one is, I think, I mean, th- we could go on for days about the Weezer discography and kind of the baffling ups and downs of that. But this one is is to me like the most cohesive album. It's almost like it. It's funny because it feels a little bit like a uh, like a concept album, but it's not. But the thing is, did you know uh, this was actually before they recorded this and did like this? It, they're actually working on a, a a rock opera. Oh, I didn't know that. So, and some of these songs are from that. So it's kind of like the Who's um, album, Who's Next? Do you know about that? So, you know, they had, um, they were trying to do this rock opera called Lifehouse and uh, not the 90s band. <laughs> but uh, they were trying to do this, uh, the Who, that is, was trying to do this rock album, this rock opera called uh, uh, Lifehouse, and it kind of didn't work out. And they took some of the songs, like Won't Get Fooled Again comes from that. There's a couple other songs that ended up on Who's Next, but it ended up being a great album. Same thing happened here with the uh, with Pinkerton. The album they were working on is called Songs from the Black Hole, and they um, there's a few, I think the ones, there are actually two different track lists that Rivers was working on, and at the same time he was starting Harvard. <laughs> this was like the time when he was doing Harvard. But I think it's... Um, Let's see, which ones are they? I think it's Tired of Sex, Get You, and Falling for You, which were originally going to be on that concept album that they were working on. He ended up kind of trashing it. Some of the B-sides that we we may have time to discuss came from that as well, um, that that session. But out of that kind of uh, empty session. And if you're curious about what the songs are, he actually has all those demos. Have you heard any of those of Rivers, uh, the Alone albums? I have not. So he has, uh, I think there's like two or three, but it's full of his just, his demos, like acoustic demos of all his stuff. So I think it's, there's one, I think it's the third one. It's called like the Pinkerton Years, and that has um, this album, uh, or the songs that never made the light of day, like as in a you know studio recording. But he's got demos of these, like acoustic bedroom demos. So it's pretty cool if you kind of go through and people have, there's, I think, a couple different track lists and you can find those and you can approximate that uh, rock opera that he was working on that didn't happen. So that's what happened out of this. And so um, I think the other thing that makes a difference between that Blue album and this one is they, Weezer produced this one versus the first one, which was done by Rick Ocasek by the Cars. Anyways, I want to try to play a little bit of this, and we'll talk over it. But uh, yeah, I but I think once again, just like the first album, they have that those ten songs, just a little over thirty minutes. But still, it's it's a very different record, you know. Well, I think you know sometimes we as consumers, well, it's just human nature is to want things to be safe and the same, and you know, it's familiar. Right. But especially when it comes to music. And I think, you know, as consumers, we want to know what we're getting. And then this was just so different than their first album. And it just, I don't know, it just, it, it, it was something you had to like listen to. It was something right. that like, it, you couldn't just blindly sing and dance along to like you could with the, the first album. <laughs> 
you know, it, it was very just interested with what it was doing. Yeah, so this first, the, I mean, even the first track, you know, Tired of Sex, it's, it's really funny because it's like this anti-rock and roll song. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, yeah, it was very, like, wow, wasn't expecting this to open up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the one thing that I like about this album is even though it's kind of raw and kind of darker, uh, it still has kind of these like little winks and nods and um, the kind of wordplay that I think Rivers as a lyricist, you know, sometimes he can be really good at. Uh, like this part right here. So you have that line like, why can't I be making love come true, which I really like. There's words like that, like kind of double meanings or, or kind of turns of phrases that I think run through this album that I really like. Oh yeah, it's really, really clever. I mean, but again, you have to listen to it to, to right. catch that. You know, it's very, I don't know, like I mentioned the Beatles earlier, very much like John Lennon style where the the double meanings and turns of phrases, yeah, like absolutely, but you know, I, I think that, um, I guess you also have to understand when you're listening to something that it needs to be listened to as an independent album or record or, or work of art. Right. But it's hard to do that when you, you expect one thing and you just get something <laughs> completely yeah, different. Yeah. You always have to erase your mind to actually receive it in a proper way because there are those just like expectations on top of it. Right. Totally. So once again, you have Get You, which is track two, and it starts to get, you know, it kind of goes into it pretty quickly, but it still kind of has this weird slide up. And there's also some moves in there, because you had Matt Sharp. This was his last album with Weezer, who was a bass player. Matt Sharp, who was between the first and second album, he did The Rentals. And so... There's not so much in this song, but um, you'll you'll hear it in some of the others that that move. Yes. So was, was Matt Sharp when he did the rentals? So, so that was like at the same time he was still in Weezer. Yeah, it, it was did, between. It, it was like when Rivers had gone to Harvard. It was like while he was uh, while he was in his first <laughs> semester at Harvard. And so imagine this: like your first year of college, when you're on winter break, what'd you do? Uh, Rivers recorded this album. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Yeah. So when he was on breaks, they would record. I think Get You, I, I like it. It's good. Not one of my favorites on this album. Oh, no, no, no. It's part of, it, uh, to me, this is one of those that kind of feels like part of the whole. Yeah. Well, um, when R.E.M. released their last studio album, Michael Stipe, I, I heard an interview with Michael Stipe, but he was talking about how he wanted to go back to that kind of old way of doing things where you would sit down and listen to the album as a whole. And so yeah. he wanted to keep it kind of short, keep it, you know, it, it, as a single session listen. Um, and I, I did mm -hmm. appreciate at the time, because, you know, our, our generation started the whole like, for lack of a better term, ADD generation. Like we, we need, we got so much going on. We got so much right, yeah. out there, you know, computer screens and then cell phones and then this, and you know, now like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. 
I've got the TV on. I got my iPad over here. I got a computer <laughs> here. And my phone's right next to me too. And this is just right, right. Work. Yeah. Um, We're supposed to be recording a professional like podcast right here. You're. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the way I've always been, though. You know, I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. My, during this time of my life, my mom would come into my room, and I would have some some CD on the CD player, and mm. probably oldies. Yeah. But like, I would have either depending on the time of year. You know, it, it was usually because it was in the afternoon. The Cubs were playing, so I would have the Cubs playing on WGN, doing my homework, and so like, there's. It's just the general, the generation of just stimuli everywhere. Not that it didn't exist before. It's just a different type now. And having said that, what I've always, even to this day, appreciated about at least the first three Weezer albums. Yeah. You can sit and listen to it in one sitting, and it's just the norm. Yeah. Like when you when you're singing along, mindlessly singing. When you get done with one track, you start singing the next track mm-hmm. just automatically. Uh, you, it's funny you mention that because when I was in Spain, like when I was an undergrad, I studied a semester in Spain. And, you know, we would go out uh, on the weekends in the city. Uh, I was in Toledo, which is um, a, kind of a smaller town outside of Madrid, like an hour south of Madrid. And uh, so there was these late night buses that would go. And the last one was at 3 a.m. So if I missed that bus, it was like a 40-minute walk to from the center of the city to where I was staying with a host family. So, And I would walk by myself at like 4 in the morning in Spain, which thinking about it now is really dumb. I was just thinking, how safe is that? <laughs> I, I guess I was okay. But the thing that I was doing too, which would also mark me as like, you know, not a Spanish person, I would sing this album because I knew by the time I started, I'd leave the city, I'd be by myself. I could start singing this. And this was one of the few like albums that I knew front to back, like lyrically more or less. I could start singing it. And then by the time I got, I'd be about done by the time I got to the, to the, um, to the apartment. So anyways. All right, next one, track three, No Other One. So once again, we kind of start with that heavy feedback there's like a little slide guitars yelling once again so it's it's kind of a kind of nasty false start it's not really a false start but it's just kind of works its way and just the rhythm of this song it kind of plods to me what would you say patrick yeah you know it, it makes sense though it if you're saying that, like, and again, you know, I don't know the the full history. I mean, you were always a bigger Weezer fan, of course, and so, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that knowing now that he was trying to write like a rock opera type thing, not necessarily even if it was this song, but like, it makes more sense. Like, oh, because you know, best class I ever took in college, there were two of them. Um, one was a, a music and film class, which I adore. I mean, it was it was awesome. Took it one summer, and it, it was phenomenal because like we would we would watch a movie, and like analyze the music on our own, and then come back the next day, and we would just discuss whatever we watched. Mm-hmm. And I remember from that class, the first movie we were assigned was Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan. Oh yeah. And you know, being oh we're too cool for this sort of yeah thing, yeah yeah had no idea and so we're, we're joking with our ta that was teaching the class and about like come on man like we're not trekkies whatever 
we we end up <laughs> we go and watch tricky. the movie when i say we i mean like the it was a consensus in the class you know we go yeah. and watch the movie and then like you know none of us wanted to say anything to each other because we we're all just kind of like sheepishly looking at each other we get back to the next day in class like yeah this musically soundtrack was amazing but you know, <laughs> that class taught me about like you know kind of that operatic style which the yeah. second class that that I, I think that i got the most from in college was an opera class it was the operas of uh giuseppe verde and you know the first um opera we had to watch for that one was La Traviata mm -hmm. and it, it, had I been a smarter more educated man at the time I would have realized it was not going to end very happily but yeah well you know it's really funny you mentioned that I, it's almost like we planned this but we didn't but I don't know if you know but when I was reading this so Rivers was really listening to Madam Butterfly I didn't know that yeah okay so Cho <laughs> Oh, okay. That's in there, and and then the and then the last track, you know. <laughs> when I heard "Butterfly," like it's a great song. I really, yeah. it's actually one of my favorites on the album, even though it seems like it's just a tag on the end. Yeah, it reminded me of um, the end of Abbey Road, where yeah, you know, everybody talks about the end being the last Beatles song. Well, yeah, but Paul McCartney threw on Her Majesty, right. And, and so, yeah. like, yeah, it's just a little clip. You know, to me, that's what that reminded me of because, I mean, it was very different. It seems like it could have been done with just one person and, and not the rest of the crew. It, it, and I might be reading too much into it, but it right. felt like, to me, that makes it, like, the period on a very personal statement that this man has just made throughout the, what, 38, 40 minutes that the album actually is, like, it, yeah. it felt like a like a, a final statement that he was doing and you know it's it's very stripped down it was just raw and real which again now i can appreciate at the time where's my sweater song where's my surf yeah, wax yeah, you know exactly. america i want like <laughs> i wanted i wanted uh buddy holly part two yes well the closest thing to that i think is the next track track four which is why bother but at the same time it's like this defeatist love song, but it's awesome. very self-deprecating. Yeah. It's very self yeah. And that's not just this album. I mean, he, he's, he's like, I'm an unapologetic nerd. I'm going to write music and I'm going to, you know, this, this part reminds me of like, that, that chorus part, here, I'll pull back a little bit, but this is kind of like those, 50s doo-wop groups in a way there's something that reminds me of that every time I don't know maybe it, that just kind of but I mean there's definitely the punk influence there oh, yeah. that's a great it's, it rips it's like two minutes long it's awesome I remember seeing that when they played that live too when we saw them live in like what was it 2003 or something yeah, thereabouts yeah yeah it was it was awesome but yeah, that's a great one. I always enjoy that one. That's a it's one of the ro few rockers, just straight up rockers that are on this album. But I think that's why it's one of my favorites. Yeah, because it's just a straight rock. But you know, again, I feel a little bit hypocritical as a as a music teacher myself because mm -hmm. 
I realized, why is that one of my favorite songs? Oh, because I can just mindlessly sing along. Something yeah. that in, in recent years, you know, I'm in high school now, but when I was in middle school. You're teaching high school. You're not yeah, attending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> teaching yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. When, when I was teaching middle school, something that I would, you know, part of my like lessons with them were about listening. And, and, you know, I would tell them about how like I would go to a concert and my mind would be blown because you know, I'd look over, I'm seeing this 10, 12 year old singing along with something they really should not be singing along with. Right, right, right. Why are you, this is not, but, but how many songs, you know, uh, when we grew up and we're growing up, did we hear that we just mindlessly sang along to without listening to and, and yeah, not yeah. knowing what we're saying or singing, you know, dad, when, whenever I was, in that Ford Bronco with dad driving around to recreation acres or Dario mm -hmm. or wherever we're going, <laughs> you know, it was either country music or oldies. Yeah. And, you know, looking back now, I, I respect country music. I really truly do. I, I hate when I hear people say, Oh, I just hate country. Like right. why is it because you're told to, or is it because you actually genuinely don't like this? Something that's very, cool about country music is the simplicity of the chordal structure mm -hmm. and, and this and I, i'm being very general i'm being very general you know i'm very want to be very clear about that i understand right but like right, when right. you're looking at your one four five progression when you're looking at your basic three or four chord songs following certain patterns well there's a reason the patterns work it's because sonically they're nice they're they're enjoyable and pleasing to listen right. where does it want to go no, it why because that's <laughs> that's nature of it. It's what yeah, you yeah, want, yeah. and so you know. Having said that, I think that it, it's very something that country music gets overlooked on. I believe is that you can take something that's been done and still create something new, even yeah. though these three chords have already been used. You can do something new with it, and and I, I've always respected that about country music. For me, looking back as an adult now, I can re-listen to these songs and get a whole new experience listening to them because I missed out on it the first time. I didn't catch on my first time through because my own musical immaturity didn't allow me to know what I was listening to. I, I was just blindly singing along or, oh, this is fun. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know. Um and you start catching things from 20, 30 years ago that like you weren't ready for then, but now you can go back and grab it. And I think for me personally, I can draw some parallels to my own musical experience in middle and high school where I wanted to listen to that stuff from the 60s because I didn't experience it the first time. I didn't get that yeah, same yeah. experience. And now I'm finding that with, with you know, the like directly related to Pinkerton was listening to it last night to prepare for this and pink triangle. That's awesome song. It's a <laughs> fun song. And on the surface, it feels almost offensive. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, this is taboo. And what are you? Well, it's incredibly personal so much that you're right. It's, it's not socially acceptable, but the thing is, is like, and, why don't we just let's just get into that? I mean, yeah, we'll listen to a little bit of this, but um, I I love the intro of this with oh, the gorgeous. gorgeous yeah. intro. There's a lot of slide guitar in this. I just 
you know? Well, it's not really, I mean, they're sliding. It's not really like a, they're doing like a blue slide, but. But the thing is. You got that beautiful intro. You got this, oh, I'm looking for love and all that. And then just, boom, out of the blue, I'm dumb, she's a lesbian. I thought I had found the one. Like, and then another one of my, but it also, this one has my favorite line in, in probably all their albums, which is, that follows that, and it's coming up here. I, I, don't, I was trying to time it right, but I don't think I'll be able to. <laughs> but, yeah, let's just listen to the chorus a little bit. I think that's the key of the song right there. We were good as married in my mind, but married in my mind's no good. And that's the key. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. And the thing I think is, is like I was thinking about it last night too. I was like, well, yeah, you thinking about it now. When somebody would hear that song on the on the front end, you, you're right. It feels offensive. It feels wrong, and it kind of is. And a lot of these songs, there's like there is this running theme of you know I'm I'm kind of a nerd. I'm kind of a loser whatever, who cares, I'm obsessed with one girl, blah, blah, blah. But there's like this um, inherent misogyny in it. There's a little bit of these. But the thing is, is like it's because it's like incredibly personal. It's all this, this song in particular, it's in his head. It's this thing he played out inside his head, and then it's like, oh, that's, that's so stupid. You know, it's a one, it's a, it's a, almost four minute song on like probably a, a three second conversation in your own head. And the thing is, it's like, it's so personal. It's not going to be, you know, politically aligned to what you should say out loud. Right. But, but I mean, you, you hit it right on the head there. Like it's every artist of any type takes a three second conversation in their head and blows it up into whatever they want it to be. It could be a sculpture, it could be a three minute song, it could be an opera, you know? I mean, that's just the nature of art. I, I wonder with, and you know, this is kind of digging a little bit deep with this, you know, when we grew up, gay was bad, you know, cause it was, an, yeah. and we didn't realize it at the time. It's like, it's a slur to call somebody gay or or you would say it in something being gay it was like that's stupid yeah and or you you break it down even more and this is like the elementary school level which looking back now scares the hell out of me <laughs> where like you you got that the the pointer finger and you put it on your hand yeah 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 oh you look so you're gay right like, it, it's almost conditioned well, there was a thing too. Oh there was my a God. yeah, yeah. And uh, there was also the thing too. I don't the the, and this is like not only homophobic, but it's also like ableist. The uh, urinal in the boys' bathroom that was the like handicapped toilet that was lower, that was considered the gay toilet. And you're and now thinking back on that too, and you'd avoid using it just so you wouldn't get harassed. And then you think about it now and you're just like, that's horrific. <laughs> the thing that hurts so much about that now and what makes it just like a slap in the face, oh my God, are you serious? Is that we were so young. 
Yeah. You're, yeah. This is like second grade. You're not going to yeah. use that urinal. Like, right. you're eight years and old. Only, it only intensified in middle school. God, yeah. You always did have that uh, urinal deuce in the middle. Of yeah. <laughs> that always, you know. Yeah, that always brightened your day. Situation. Yeah. Well, we kind of skipped ahead, but I want to go back thinking about like these ultra personal songs that are in it. I think track number five, Across the Sea, I think this is the one that's the most personal and kind of like, ooh, sometimes. That being said, this might be my favorite song on the album. It actually might be mine too. But it's that dissonant chord. Yeah, here. And then you get that nasty guitar right here. Right there. Yeah. I love it. And then the, the piano that doubles the uh, vocal melody here. It's great. It's a very standard pleasing melody. Yeah. That crunch of the guitar. Mm-hmm. Then again, you, you hit on it. You listen to lyrics. It's like, all right. Yeah, it's a little iffy. It's like he just gets obsessed over this letter. But once again, the... The button on the end of this uh, this chorus, he's got a great. It's not really a turn of phrase, but it's a little like reciprocal thing. I, I forget the uh, the literary term for it, but that'd be annoying anyways. But that whole, which is about to come up here, you've got my letter. I mean, I've. I'll let him say it. You know. I think that's my favorite. Line I've got your letter. You've got my song. Yeah. That's that's God. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. Th- but then he, but then he feels it. But then the thing that comes next, that second verse is just it, it's so highly sexual and just kind of messed up and creepy. I mean, it's a very sexual album. Across, yeah, yeah, yeah. Across oh, the world, yeah, yeah. and and it's it's really you know it it digs deep into things that people don't talk about in the dinner table. Yeah. Let's move on. So start inside two is is the good life, um, which feels. It's it's just a, a mid-tempo rocker. It's great. Well, it throws back to the blue album. Yeah. And that line, you know, who's that funky dude? Uh, yeah, that's kind of like the, what's with these homies dissing my girl? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like this song a lot, uh, but, you know, I think there's... It's good, but it's... To me, you know, it's it's straightforward. It's not like Across the Sea or, or, or Pink Triangle or... You know, some of the others are Butterfly that kind of go beyond kind of what the Blue Album was doing. This this has that sound of Pinkerton, but it, the, the song is it. It feels like a Blue a blue Album hangover. It does, and it is. But at the same time, if you're sitting down listening to the album start to finish, which I really think it was designed to be listened to like that, it's a nice break. I mean, like, yeah. emotionally, it's hard to get so completely invested. I'm not saying that every song has to be like the most deep or, or, or meaningful, you know, for, for me, it's like, wow, you just came off of this emotional roller coaster where like, I love this, but should I like it? Because I don't like this part of it or like, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, it's, it's a nice, just, Oh, break back to just breathing again before but- we move on to, to, darker and, and more interesting <laughs> yeah it goes down into the depths again but yeah you're you're right it kind of pops up again it's like it's almost like you have these uh uh the song like across the sea or uh 
yeah, why bother? It's just overthinking, just kind of getting into dark places, just feeling desperate. And then you're just like, the good life is like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to get back to like being with other folks and, and living it, living it up, you know? Right. And then we have El Scorcho, which is, to me, it's such a weird song. And it kind of reminds me of like the sweater song. I mean, it still has that same like one, four, five. It has kind of a kind of a racist thing right up front. <laughs> it, is. It, is. it is. At the same time, and this is kind of a, a deeper question. Knowing that it's kind of tongue in cheek, does it yeah. make it more acceptable? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he obviously has some sort of like Asian fetish because it's all over this album. It is, but and he, and, you know, but I'm, I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to like justify or saying that I believe one way or another. Like, just generally speaking, it's like, you know, I've got a southern accent. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to change me or, or how I talk because people are like, oh, you sound funny. You don't pronounce your G's at the end of the words or what. Like, but but at the same time, like, if I have somebody else making fun of somebody else talking like I do, I have a problem with it. Right, 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 Yet right. I make fun of me and people that talk like me all the time. Yeah, you will hear us rip on where we grew up heavily in the course of this 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 podcast. <laughs> yes. But don't you do it. No. <laughs> but, but you know what, though? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that this uh, – this podcast is naturally going to be throwing out some some potential for ties back to Stokes County boys. Yeah, it will. It will. Part of growing up is, you know, like in, in fifth grade, Tornado went through, you know, our section of King. Yeah. And the next day, everybody was helping everybody, even people that weren't part of the neighborhood or even people that weren't part of the, the um, those affected, the houses affected. That's beautiful. You know, yeah. In Stokes County, did we go to school the next day? I was just thinking about that. We did. I went late. I remember very well. Yeah. Remember very well. I remember. Yeah. That's so uh, weird. What? Why did they keep? Why did they have school that day? Well, it only affected like three neighborhoods. <laughs> That's like half the town. Yeah. One of them was a trailer park. It was like picking up trailers. Yeah. Part of that small town America that I. I I actually do see here to a lesser extent, but I still see it. And that's what I like about Durham. Mm-hmm. It's you still have a little bit of that small town attitude where your neighbor's going to help your neighbors. Right. You might not always agree on things. You might not always see eye to eye on stuff, but you're going to, you're going to protect your own because you got that bond. You got that thing in common, you know, like I guarantee you right now that if I go, well, we're in a global pandemic, so this is completely <laughs> hypothetical. Yeah. If I go out to eat and I'm wearing my South Stokes, let's say in let's say in February you did. Let's this. say in February I go out to eat <laughs> Valentine's Day and I'm wearing my South Stokes baseball shirt. <laughs> like, if if somebody recognizes that, it's like from, oh, I'm from Winston Salem, or oh, I'm from Surrey County, or oh, right. you know, I'm gonna be like immediately connected to them. Now, mm. if they say, oh, I'm from Walnut Cove, or oh, I'm from Germantown, or like, I'm going to flip out. You know, like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Really good friend of mine here um, is friends with somebody that lives in King currently. Now, they oh, were wow. 
they weren't there when I, when you and I lived there, you know, they moved there 10, 15 years ago after we were already gone. But like immediately when I met that guy, King, Spain Hour Road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So after El Scorcho, track eight, we've kind of already gone into, we couldn't wait, <laughs> kind of ruined the sequence that I was going for, but it's Pink Triangle. And uh, that goes into track nine, Falling For You, which to me, I think this is the weakest song on the album. I was just thinking it's boring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's just, I, I feel like there's not a whole lot to it. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, it's kind of on theme. It's not like, it doesn't throw you off, but yeah, I, don't, I really don't have much to say about this one. They started off with such good intros because you got yeah, the, the, yeah. the multiple parts overlapping and then boom, now we're standard for literally the rest of the song. There, it doesn't take you in that operatic direction that you feel like you want based on some of the things that you've heard earlier. Yeah, and I, I just feel like the vocal melody on the chorus, I don't know, it, it just uh, it doesn't get me like the other stuff does. Uh, and then, yeah, as we mentioned before, the final track, which I think is awesome way to end this album is kind of the stripped down acoustic uh, butterfly, which we'll listen to a little bit. And we kind of talked about it already, but I think it has this great image of, uh, you know, the butterfly that you kind of make so precious and you end up killing it and pinning it. But in this case, the butterfly kind of flutters away or whatever but yeah it's and then there's just this you know he's sorry for something he know it's fucked up (laughs) my favorite line in this though because you know it is melodically very simple very Mm -hmm. soothing yeah it's almost childish It, it is and you know it's you still have that it's a perfect way you said it. It's a perfect way to end the album because the lyrics themselves are soothing and then a little twisted. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, a little uncomfortable. But my, my favorite lines in that second verse, if I'm a dog, then you're a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> because at, and it's, it's not just the line, but it's how it's delivered. Because after he does the line, there's like a pause, so he get, does a little. There's music. a little guitar riff, right? Yeah. Where you have, I mean, it sits in your ear, yeah. Yeah. and then he moves on. I love yeah. that. In a way, this this album it has these themes. You know, a lot of it's like self-loathing, like love or lack thereof, obsession, and and this one just it has that perfect. Like I said, it's got a great metaphor of of trying to pin down a butterfly, and it's like if you do that, you kill it. And if you don't, it flies away. It just flutters on. It just moves on. But yeah, it's great. Well, it, it, but it also dives into like the beauty of the butterfly. Yeah. Is it more beautiful knowing that it exists out in the world somewhere, even though or, you can't see it? Or, or pinned in, in behind glass in some weirdo's uh, reading room. <laughs> pinned in the weirdo's reading room but they can enjoy the aesthetic of that dead butterfly all of the time that comprises pinkerton which i think i've listened to countless times i think 
it was really important to me. Like I said, when I was in Spain, I was kind of away from home. This was one of the albums I would like repeatedly listen to and it would ground me. I would sing it to myself, <laughs> walking home half drunk <laughs> in Spain. For listeners, if you want, what we're going to do, because we're going to, we're not only going to cover like music and albums and stuff that I, we're going to, but when we do, I created a Spotify uh, playlist, which I'll link in the show notes, and it'll have um, all the songs we cover. Uh, did you did you listen to any of those B-sides that I sent you as well? I didn't. Okay. Some of these are okay. Like, there's uh, You Gave Your Love to Me Softly, which I think ended up on a, a soundtrack, and it's it's just kind of a hard rocker. I like it, but have you heard this one before? Are you familiar with this? Okay, it it's good. Devotion is what this is one of the songs that was on that one of the ones they recorded that was to be on that uh, that songs from the the black hole, but it didn't make it. it. Ended up being a B side. But you hear that Moog, which is all Matt Sharp. It's kind of funny. A lot of these uh, these Moog heavy uh, ones are uh, off the record. <laughs> And Matt Sharp leaves after this. <laughs> so, surprise, surprise. But um, there's also Waiting on You, which is, uh, this is one I'm not as familiar with as the other the other three um, of the four. And this one's okay. I mean, it. it's like the 6-8 Weezer rocker, you know. You know, kind of, it's, it's, it's that one in... This one's Moog heavy as well. Oh, I think I may have a conspiracy here. <laughs> Rivers put all these synth songs off the album, pushing Matt Sharp out of the band. What do you think about that, Patrick? And isn't that the way it usually goes? <laughs> yeah. So the the last one, and I saved it for last because this is one of my favorite out of this group of songs. So we're, we're talking about like 10 album songs, there's four B-sides. There might be a few more. I, I wasn't trying to be too exact with it. There's this deluxe edition that has all these live versions, acoustic versions that you can have fun with if you're into that. But this one's called I Just Threw Out the Love of My Dreams. And this was the lead vocals on this is Rachel Hayden, who was in the rentals that did some of the backup vocals. If you listen to that, that their first album, um, Return of the Rentals. But I love this song. Do you know this song? Patrick, I'm just going to play a little bit of it. I, and this one's Moog heavy as well, but I just love the that Weezer sound with the female vocals on it. And apparently, rumor goes, she did this in one take. I just really like this song. And then at the end, uh, let's see if I can get to the right spot. Rivers like sings with her. And it, it sounds great. Yeah, here, let me pull back. Again. 
Yeah, but I think this is a great song. Like, if I were to do one thing, I know it kind of breaks from the sound of the main album, but I almost wish that one was on the album. I've always been a sucker for female vocals. I, I, I love the just aesthetics of the female lead vocalist over that sort of sound. It's why yeah. I'm absolutely just in love with the interrupters right now. Right. Yeah. Which if you don't know, they're kind of a punk slightly influenced by ska, right? But yeah. Um, I, I think they're, I More think they're punk. actually signed to Rancid's record label. I mean, yeah, very yeah. Much, you like Rancid, you'll love interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. It's, it's funny to me because it's like, for especially in like the 70s they you had these men singing in this like falsetto or just way up high you know like led zeppelin or things like that it's like you could have just had a woman sing for you and it it probably sound better <laughs> it might be blasphemy blasphemy to some people but i guess i guess they wouldn't have a woman singing all those uh just woman hating lyrics that they did for led zeppelin so maybe that's why so that's that's pinkerton but yeah, so uh, I think we'll end it there. Uh, this was um, this was fun. I hope you enjoyed it too, Patrick. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you enjoy the show, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on uh, iTunes. Uh, obviously, you know we have this through Anchor, so uh, we've got it on several uh, platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at sc boys pod we have an instagram at stokes county boys and hey if you want to contact us feel free to email us at stokescountyboys at gmail.com and you can um suggest uh a movie album a wrestling match for us to cover uh to talk about uh you can give us uh if if you're from the area you got any small town stories <laughs> we'll take those yeah I'll send me drifting back to those hills of Carolina when I'm riding on the LA.